Well, we all love rescue stories, right? Movies, TV shows, even the news, frankly, we all love to hear about rescue stories. Of course, the rescue stories mean somebody has been saved, something good has happened, and there's something built into us as humans where we like the idea of rescue and being rescued. I don't know if you've ever had to be rescued. Um, there's a time when I was on a whitewater rafting trip, and I was... Um, used to take high school kids rafting, and we were up on the Wolf River up near Green Bay area. I was in a two-man raft, and before you'd go down these rapids, the guide would, you'd walk around on the stones and the rocks ahead of time, and the guide would show you the rapid and explain what you need to do to get through this rapid successfully. And um, he was very clear that to get through this particular rapid we were going to go through, which was the hardest one of the day, that you had to keep paddling to get through it. And if you stop paddling, your boat will turn sideways and you'll capsize. I was the youth pastor at the time, and I was with a high school student. I blame him to this day. <laughs> high school kids, you can't trust them, you know. So as we get ready to approach this rapid, I'm yelling, paddle, paddle, right? can imagine I'm, I'm a little bit nervous around water to begin with, okay? Well, sure enough, stops paddling. I'm sure it was his fault. We turn sideways. We capsize. And when we capsize, the raft is over my head. So I come up, and there's a raft over my head, and, and I just panic at that point. I realize I can't come up. And, of course, the water is sweeping you down. You don't want to stand up because you don't want to get your legs caught and be pushed down into the... So I'm like desperately just waving, scrambling, and all of a sudden, a rope comes my way, and I grab the rope, and they drag me out, coughing and, and uh, in, a, in a panic. I was rescued. It felt great to be rescued on one hand, but on the other hand, it also was a little embarrassing, right? And see, that's part of what it feels like sometimes when we think, I don't want to think that I need to be rescued. I don't want to think that I need a rescue or a rescuer. I want to think that I'm self-sufficient. Well, this morning we're going to begin a series looking at uh, life on mission, and we're going to look at it from an Old Testament perspective. We're going to look at this for the next three weeks. Mission in the Old Testament. This morning we're going to talk specifically about Abraham. But as we get started the gospel is what we'll really be talking about over the next three weeks, and the gospel in and of itself is a rescue story. In fact, the gospel, I would say, is this way. The gospel is that God himself has come to rescue and renew creation in and through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. That's a basic definition of the gospel. It's a rescue mission that God has gone on to rescue people. And as we launch this series today, we know that this is a core value here at Life Community Church, that we say we are outreach-oriented. It's one of our core values. And what that means is we believe that we are to join God on His mission of rescue, looking for opportunities to bring the gospel into people's lives so that they can begin to be renewed. So one of the things that I've been on a journey personally is really been wrestling with this over the last two or three years in my life, saying, what does it really look like to bring the gospel to bear 
on people's lives, and most importantly, it starts in my life. What does it look like for the gospel to be something that is rescuing me on a day-by-day basis, on a moment-by-moment basis, so that I am living the gospel in a very practical and a very real way? The gospel is core to understanding mission. So the idea of being outreach-oriented is this, that we are all called to be missionaries. We are called to be missionary servants every day in the everyday stuff of life. I like to think of it as the idea that every day I get up and I go out into the world, I'm a missionary. I think a lot of times we get lost in that idea. We, we forget that. And we tend to compartmentalize missionary work. And we think of, oh, missionaries, those are people in Africa. You know, that's a place I'll never go. I'm scared. I'm never going to be that kind of missionary. But the reality is we are called as followers of Christ to be missionaries every day in the everyday stuff of life. You know, there are very few of us who are going to probably experience like massive opportunities for rescue of people. But every one of us, every day of our lives, experiences people on some level in the very practical, mundane stuff of life. You know, those of you who have small children, right, you you go and you connect with other parents of small children and you're wrestling with, what do I do with this three-year-old? won't listen to me. It's out of control. What does it look like to be a missionary in those moments? For those of you who have teenagers, right? We all talk as parents of teens, right? We all connect about our teens. Yeah, don't, you guys don't know that, right? Yeah. But what does it look like for me to be a missionary amongst other parents of teens? How do I see myself as one who is sent into that mission field, wrestling with it and helping people see how does the gospel come to bear on your parenting of teens? So we're going to look at the Old Testament uh, over the next three weeks in order to see really the, the beginning of mission work, which the beginning of mission work is that God himself has been on mission since the beginning and so his longing, God's longing has always been to bring all the nations under his wing and to have them come to him and be in relationship with him. So today we're going to be looking at Abraham. So if you want to turn to Genesis 12, you can do that. And we're going to, uh, before we jump into Genesis 12, I, I have a, something I want you to do. I want you to, I know there's a note card, I gave you another card too, but you have some cards today, but... I want you to take a few minutes, even while I'm talking, you can just ignore me, but I want you to make a list of everything you have. Make a list of everything you have. Your house, your cars, your tools, your kids, your job, your, your upbringing, what was that like? What are all the things that you have, your friends, your education, your talents, your experiences in life, parents, make a list of all the stuff, all the things that you have. Write them down. Start writing them down. It's something that I want to challenge cell groups to do together this coming week, to make a board, to, to create what is it that we have? What's, what's all the stuff? What's all the stuff that we have? So, Let's go ahead and look at Genesis 12. We're going to look at the first three verses in this chapter, which gives us 
an Old Testament that's kind of the first clearest missional call in the Old Testament that is given to Abraham. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your, from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Let's think about the context of this passage here in Genesis 12. What's been going on up to this moment? We have 11 chapters in Genesis up before chapter 12. That's pretty good math on my part, I think. What's been going on in these 11 chapters? There's been a lot happening. There's been to the point where we now have a lot of people that have existed before these first 12 chapters, in the first 11 chapters. And so what we begin to see is that Adam and Eve in Genesis 1, right? And then it moves on to, over, to, to 70 nations by Genesis chapter 10. And then, of course, we have chapter 11, the, the Tower of Babel. So we see that the earth is filled at this point with multitudes of people and nations by the time the first 11 chapters of Genesis end. And this is all a result of God's blessing. In fact, the verb and the noun blessing are really what carries the first 11 chapters of Genesis. If you read back through Genesis 1 through 11, you'll see this idea of blessing, that God is blessing. God is bringing blessing on people in those first 11 chapters. And then in chapter 12, you'll notice that this word blessed is used uh, five times in this little section here. And so blessing is really part of what's going on. And so it's a connecting word. But just as the blessing of God is at work, we also see that in like manner, um, we have, um, I'm sorry, I'm behind on my slides, sorry, I got carried away, but we have the plight of mankind also in those first 11 chapters. We see three significant events have happened. The fall, Adam and Eve, remember, fell into sin. And what's interesting is right after the fall, God extends grace when he says in Genesis 3.15, there's a promise of an offspring that's going to come and will bruise the serpent's head. This is a missional promise that God gives for all people, for all time. Then again, after the flood, there's another word of grace in Genesis 9.27, and the promise is given to Japheth's descendants. It says they will grow and become great. And eventually we know the Messiah comes to that line as well. And then we have the failure of Babel. And right after the failure of Babel, we have the passage we've been looking at today, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, where again, God extends grace. And in this passage, it's very missional. This really, chapter 12, is the first most obvious kind of missional passage in the Old Testament where Abraham is, is given a mission. So let's go ahead and look at, at specifically at verse 1. Um, in Genesis 12. We're going to kind of break these down. It says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So the first thing we see about mission here is go. Abraham is told to go. What do we see here? Well, we see first and foremost that God came to Abraham. Okay? Like many of God's actions... This might seem obscure. <laughs> it seems maybe a little bit uh, insignificant, 
if you're going to redeem the world, <laughs> like you're going to come to this one man in Ur, Ur of the Chaldeans, and at this point he'd moved to Haran, but he was from Ur, and you're going to say, you're going to carry out a mission. I'm asking you to go. So think about this, how God zeroes in on one man. This one man at the time was probably a worshiper of the idols in Ur. And he calls him then to go from his homeland, to leave everything behind, and to go where he's been told. We need to understand what Ur is like. This, this place where Abraham is from is a place that about three millennia before is before the beginning of Israel's history, and what was going on there is there were many developed religions. Many hundreds of gods and goddesses would have been part of that, those religions, and they would have their own hierarchy. They would have, you know, they had temples and complex rituals and elaborate theologies and mythologies that they had developed over time. And that's where Abraham is being called out of that, being called out of that place. Again, the gods that these people would be worshiping would be gods that would uh, be talking about forces of nature and uh, select animals and birds and heavenly bodies. And, and ultimately, there's a lot of magic and divination and demon worship would have been permeating these religions that Abraham was called out of. So this is the world that Abram is called out of, is this, this world of darkness, this world of multiple gods. And, and he would have been taken from that place, and, and he hears the word of God, and he's told to go out from there. And he's called, I would say, to be uncomfortable, <laughs> to leave his home and family and just to wander as God is going to lead him. And we know he wanders all over, and as he wanders through the land of Canaan, he builds different monuments and, and uh, different uh, things along the way to, to, to commemorate God's different movements in his life at different times. But we see him in a very uncomfortable place, having to be led very specifically by God. And so when we think about being missional, the first aspect of really being missional is being able to hear, hear God's voice in your life, to hear God's call. What is it that God is calling you to do? What does it mean for you to be missional in your setting? This specific call of Abraham here really became the universal call of every follower of Jesus when Jesus said in the Great Commission, go, go and make disciples of all nations. Again, in order to be missional, it requires his relationship with the living God. That's where it starts. And we need to understand we are to engage in this ongoing listening and learning relationship with God, and it's really about the up, the up. We need to remember that we need a relationship with God that is connected, where we're hearing from Him. Remember, we see Abraham is really a very unlikely person to be called out. I think a lot of times that's how we live our lives. We think, I'm not the one. (laughs) It's got to be somebody else, right? God wouldn't use me. I'm just this obscure person living in Hilliard. But we have to get better at listening to God, hearing the call, understanding that every day of our lives we have opportunities. What is it going to look like to listen? A better translation, I believe, of the Great Commission in Matthew that Jesus gives is it says, go and make disciples. I think a better translation is really to say, as you go. The idea is that 
I think sometimes we think, well, I'm just not going to go. But Jesus, I think, is making the point, no, you are going to go. You are going. You're living your life every day. As you go, make disciples. As you live your life day to day, listen to the call of God and make disciples as you go. I have a feeling that I know if you're like me, it's difficult to hear the call of God because I'm a busy guy and I have my own agenda. And I have my own ideas on what needs to happen. In fact, I'm even helping God with my ideas. And so it's easy for me to almost live my life unconsciously. And I just get up in the morning, and I do the same ritual, the same routine, and I got my schedule, I got my to-do list, got the things I need to get done, and I'm just going to go do them. And it's very easy for me to just live my life unconsciously. And what missional living means, first and foremost is we have to live consciously. We have to live up, understanding that God is trying to tell us, God is trying to speak to us throughout our days. And it might be as simple as when you go to Home Depot, right? We love Home Depot. And you're picking up that thing that you need. And someone says, hey, can I help you find whatever? And there's an opportunity for you right there in that moment to be missional? Is God speaking to you in that moment? Are you conscious that this is an opportunity to just simply love this person in some way, to show care for them? Are you conscious as you go throughout your day? When you go to that gas station and you're going in to get your speedy freeze and you're engaging the person across the counter, right? Hey, how's your day? What's your life like? oh, man, it's terrible. It's been a long weekend. i got to work. I'm working Memorial Weekend. This is, I wish I was off. It's an opportunity to engage. Are you living consciously? The call of God is something that we need to pay attention to, to live up in our lives, to focus on where God has us. So if we look at verse 2, then, we see a second aspect of missional living. He says, And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Three things are promised Abraham in this verse. It says he will make him into a great nation. He will bless him on a personal level. And he will make his name great. It's in these three promises we see that mission is not just about going, but it's also about being. In these promises, we see that Israel would assume its place in God's mission primarily by being what he called it to be. They needed to become what he was calling them to be, to be missional. I say it this way, that Israel was to be an example. They were to live in covenant community as an example to the nations And in that, it says, God will make your name great. See, Abraham would lead a people who would be an example to the nations around them. They would be set apart. This is what I call the in aspect of mission. It's the in. God has always called his people to live in a community that is set apart, not to judge the world, 
but rather to be an example to the world, to other nations, of what it looks like to be God's people and let the nations be attracted to God's people because of how they were living in covenant relationship with Him. Mission is about being. It's about being distinctive. A distinctive kind of person, a distinctive kind of people, countercultural, community among the nations. Marcus Barth writes this, he says that, Uh, God's people have no other destination and purpose than to live publicly to God's praise. The word publicly indicates that there is life lived before the nations. It's important to see here, it says that God will make his name great. From the beginning, God made this offer to Adam and Eve. And they spurned the offer and they said, I'm going to make a name for myself. And again, the builders of the Tower of Babel tried to, what, make a name for themselves. But here, God is promising Abraham, I'm going to make your name great. Again, the essence of sin is self-reliance, self-exaltation. Here, God is promising once again to his people that he will make their name great. This will not be an achievement done by Abram's hand. It is to be received as God's grace. In the same way that we live in community under God's grace, allowing God to make us attractive to the onlooking world. Israel was to mediate God's blessings to the nations largely through the mission of attraction. Israel's role is to attract others in the same way that honeybees are attracted to honey. But what is it about Israel that will pull the nation toward the living God? I think there are two magnetic forces in the life of Israel that we see throughout the Old Testament. One is their experience of God's grace, how God kept coming to them, how God kept bringing himself to their presence. We see that they also then lived an obedient lifestyle. They were to live obediently before God and be different, stand out, and through that be attractional. Israel's missional identity is to be a holy and a priestly people standing between God and the nations, and Israel was to mediate the knowledge of God to the outsiders. Peter really picks up on this in uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 through 12. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people... But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Again, God's commitment was to bless the nations through a particular people. Thus, the primary agent is the people of God. God's answer to the human predicament was not just to whisk off individuals and take them to heaven. His idea was to use his people to play a role in mission. 
is thus very significant that God confers on Israel as a whole people the role of being his priesthood in the midst of the nations. And today, as the people of God today, the church, we today are an example to the nations, an example to the neighbors. When we live in community, we become attractional. People want to look in and say, what is going on there? And we are happy to say it's the gospel that has changed us. It's Jesus Christ that has made the difference. We are called to live in, to make community a priority in our lives, as an example of love to our neighbors. Mission is about up, listening and learning from God. It's about in, living together in community, being an attractional community, of, and an example to the nations of what it looks like to live under God's idea of life. There are so many people in our world who lack purpose, who lack direction, who feel like life is going nowhere. They should be able to look at our community and be drawn and say, those people have purpose. Those people are going somewhere. Those people are on mission. Those people are experiencing joy and peace. Those people know how to suffer and experience joy in the midst of it. Those people understand how to deal with pain in a way that the world has no idea. The problem we often have is we spurn community, thinking, I don't have time for it. It doesn't fit my schedule. You will not be missional if you do not live in community. It's that simple. It is that clear. God has always used covenant community to be an example to the nations, to attract people. This is not to be a one-on-one thing, just you and God going out on mission. In fact, when Jesus talks about fishing, he's talking about fishing with a net, which takes tons of people to pull the net in. It's not a fishing rod. We have to understand the importance of community in our lives. Are we living in it? Are we making an effort to obey Scripture and live in community together? Loving one another is the way the Bible talks about it. There are 58 one another's in the New Testament. Are we doing those? Every movement throughout history, when we look back, it's been community that has driven it. I mean, I look back at Wesley. And Wesley's driven by small groups. It was a time of extreme where people were coming to Christ in droves, driven by community. I believe that Israel is a great example of that for us, that God called this people out to live in this way under him so that they would be an example and a model to the nations around them to be drawn. And as you read the Old Testament, you start to see that. In fact, The book of Psalms is probably the greatest missional book in the Bible. It is full of mission from cover to cover because the people of God understood that as they lived under his authority and praising God, the nations would be drawn to to, to who God is and want to be a part of it. Well, a question 
want you to think about is I had you write down stuff, all the stuff you have. Why do you have all this stuff? What are you going to do with it? Let's look at verse 3. God says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the third aspect of being missional, which is to be a blessing to others. God blesses you so you can bless others. This is the out of missional living, looking for opportunities to bless those around you. God gave you all that you have. And what you wrote down earlier, that's all from God. The Apostle Paul understood this aspect of Abraham's mission. When he wrote Galatians 3, 7 through 9, he wrote, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. When you come to faith, when you believe that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for your sin, you are joining Abraham. And now you are to be a blessing to the nations. You have been blessed, so you are to bless others. The purpose of God calling out Israel is service. But when this is withheld, God's choosing of Israel, the people of God, loses its meaning. And we see that throughout the history of Israel, that battle. Primarily, Israel is to serve the marginal in its midst. The orphan, the widow, the poor, the stranger. Whenever the people of Israel renew their covenant with God, they recognize that they are renewing their obligations to the victims of society. That is our obligation. The universality and the particularity of the mission was explicitly mentioned for the first time to Abraham, the great commission of the Old Testament. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The Lord stresses this three different times in the life of Abraham. He is to be a light to the world. God's sevenfold blessing contained the key imperative phrase in the center position, I will bless you, be a blessing. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. The world will enjoy the blessings of God, though it is small. From It just starts small. <laughs> one man, one man. But God has in view the world. It's one man, Abraham, but God sees the world. The whole purpose of God was to bless one people so that that might be a, the channel through which all the nations on earth might receive a blessing. Israel was God's missionaries to the world, and thereby, so are all who believe in this same gospel. A question you need to ask yourself is, are you a barrel or a conduit? Are you just storing God's blessings in a barrel for a rainy day? Or are you a conduit that simply receives God's blessings and carries it on to somebody else, to be a blessing to somebody else? We see this as the out, the out of mission. The mission of God is to bless all the nations on earth. So the church today has not been chosen to be against the world. It's important. 
The church doesn't exist to be against the world. The church exists for the sake of the world. That's our mission. We are here for the sake of the world. We're not here for ourselves. We don't go to cell group for ourselves. We don't live in community for ourselves. We don't receive God's blessings for ourselves. We live with an idea of how do we send it out? How do we live out? One author defines God's mission as doing everything possible to communicate salvation to the world. Doing everything possible to communicate salvation to the world. God has always had a mission, and he himself was the first missionary when he invited Abraham to join him on that journey. And we now today are also invited to join him on the journey of being missionaries of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the everyday stuff of life. To be missional means we must balance the up, the in, the out. All three of those are necessary to be on mission. One way we can do that, and I gave you a handout today called the Bells Model. The Bells Model. It's a a nice little tool that if you discipline yourself to this model, your mindset will change and your life will slowly over time become more missional. It, It involves... These types of things. First, it involves bless, blessing others. I think I put on there, bless two people a week. Well, you can always bless more. Look for ways to bless somebody outside of the community, and then look for ways to bless somebody inside the community. What does it look like to live a blessing, a life of blessing toward others? Eat. You're all going to eat meals. I don't know how many, you used to say, well, you say, well, you eat 21 meals a week, but I know a lot of people, when you diet, you stop eating meals. I don't understand all this stuff, but you're going to eat, I think, at some point. I want to challenge you, what is it going to look like to eat? Again, use that time to eat with others, those inside the community of faith, those outside the community of faith. How do you begin to use that time to use fellowship? Again, the Bible is full of how meals were used by Jesus to to involve and to build relationships. Eat with others. Listen. This is the up, right? Listen to the Spirit. Carve out, I think I sit on there 15 minutes a day because my hope is if you'll start at 15 minutes, that time will eventually grow to hours. But if I said start with an hour, you'd say, oh, that's too much. I won't start. Start with 15 minutes. What does it look like to just take 15 minutes of your day to just sit and listen? And say, okay, God, what's your call? Where do you want me to be involved in mission? How do you want me to engage mission in my world? Learn. Read the Gospels. It's a great place to start. Learn. Just start reading the Gospels. Read them in big chunks. Get a big picture of who Jesus is, what the Gospel is, what he did, how he lived. Learn. Spend time learning, understanding that. And then see yourself as one who is sent. Again, at the end of each day, as you're laying down, ask yourselves those questions. I got two of them on there. Questions about what did I do today? How did it go? Did I see myself as one who was sent? What am I learning about myself? Again, until you discipline and start moving towards these things, it'll be difficult to see yourself as missional. So I want to challenge you with this Bell's model to take this with you and to say, here's a way that I can practice being missional in my life, that this will balance that up, in, and out in your life. And the more you begin to do it, the more you'll begin to experience your life as more naturally becoming missional. 
and you'll begin to understand more and more not only how the gospel will apply to other people's lives, but you'll begin to see how it even applies more and more to your own life day by day. 